Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast. It is Friday, October 29th, and wherever you are, whenever you are listening to this, um, whomever you are with, I wish you God's life, God's love, God's goodness surrounding you this day. Uh, it is so good as we here in the Northern Hemisphere uh, just see the beauty of this fall uh, around us and, and just even driving in this morning, you know, seeing the, the colors still holding on, just its beauty. I hope you are able to embrace that where you are as well. And if you are in the Southern, southern Hemisphere, well, praise God, this is spring, isn't it? It's, it's fantastic. And you see the new life of God after the uh, long winter. And so, my friends, we are uh, continuing through our, our look into the evangelist Luke and what Luke has for us in his gospel. Uh, had we not had a feast day yesterday, we would have finished up chapter 13, but we did have a feast day, Saint Simon's, Saints Simon and Jude, and we are grateful and continue to ask them to pray for us. But uh, today we are going to start Luke 14. So, uh, Luke 14, verses 1 to 6. For those of you who are following along, a pretty um, common, certainly, theme or action. We've heard it before. In fact, we, reflect, we reflected on it recently. Uh, but something that's pretty familiar with all of us, a story that we know. So let's break open God's Word together here this morning. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. In front of him, there was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus spoke to the scholars of the law and Pharisees in reply, asking, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. So he took the man and, after he had healed him, dismissed him. Then he said to them, Who among you, if your son or ox falls into a cistern, would not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? But they were unable to answer his question. My friends, the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So again, here we see Jesus in his magnanimity, right? I mean, uh, that, that Jesus is, is just as willing to dine at the home of Matthew and his friends, which would also be tax collectors or sinners of some sort, and be counted among their company as much as he would the Pharisees. And he knew, you know, I mean, it says here right away, He's dining at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You know you're being invited into someplace, and you know you're being set up. And, uh, and people are just going to watch your actions, or watch what you do, or watch and listen to what you say. And maybe sometimes that's really good, because they need leadership, and they're, and they're looking for that, and they're looking to you for that. But sometimes it's not. It's not done with a, a good heart or a, a heart uh, filled with expectation and, and desire uh, to see the good or the right. No, <laughs> this was with the expectation that 
he's going he's gonna to do something that's against our law, and in so doing, we have something uh, that can, we can hold against him, right? Isn't that what we're talking about? And, and if, if we didn't get that from that verse here, and the people were observing him carefully, then the next sentence would do it. In front of him, there was a man suffering from dropsy. <laughs> now remember, this is at the home of one of the leading Pharisees. So here, all these Pharisees and scholars of the law are gathered around the table, and Jesus, and just so happens that right in front of him, there was a man suffering from dropsy. <laughs> yeah, just a coincidence, Jesus. <laughs> so, so clearly he's being set up, right? Well, what is dropsy? Let's ask that. That's a, a word, uh, a phrase we don't use anymore, with uh, medically anyway. So I did a little research. Now, I am not a medical uh, person, nor did I stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. However, according to our friend Google, uh, dropsy would be called in modern day an edema, E-D-E-M-A, an edema, where one retains water, particularly centered around an organ. So if that uh, water retainage uh, filled with bacteria, it was centered around the heart, this edema around the heart, we would call that today congestive heart failure, that, that uh, congestive heart disease, that somebody has that, making it difficult for them uh, to breathe, making it difficult for them uh, to get oxygen to the rest of their, their organs. And so um, knowing that, this was what this person, this man, was suffering from, let's say, some form of edema, some form of pain where he was retaining water and one of his organs, or many, were not working properly because of that. Would have been very obvious. And it would have been a painful thing, uh, something that he was struggling with, whether that was to get air or, or whatever that would look like. So just setting the table for that in that, again, Jesus is invited. That's great. And he's willing to go into it. He's willing to go into it even knowing he's probably going to go into it to be set up. And again, so we look at the courage that he has. And I asked you that question before. Have you ever um, had to go into a room, into a group of people, knowing this group is really not with you uh, and that they're going to be watching you uh, in order um, to hold something against you, but yet you went anyway. I mean, isn't that, aren't you to be commended for your courage, for something like that, or your goodness, or to say, I'm not going to let that stop me from doing the right thing? And Jesus didn't do that either. I mean, how good that is. So he goes in there, they're, they're watching him carefully, they set him up, uh, and they, they by putting this person right before him, in front of him, uh, there was this man with dropsy. And so Jesus knows all this. And so rather than avoiding it, or rather than just dealing with it and dealing with the consequences, he's like, let's address the elephant in the table. Let's, let's put it on, on the table for all of us to see, and let's talk about it. So he looks at them and says, so Jesus spoke to the scholars of the law and the Pharisees. Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. They wouldn't engage in him. It's almost like they're like, nope, if we engage in him with him, then we lose, 
what power we think we have. And what is that power? That if he heals him, because we know his heart and we know that he likes to do this, the power we have is lost because he's going to probably teach us, you know, something that, that of course, healing is, is the, the law of God. We don't want to know that. They're more interested in power than they are the right or the good or the just in fulfilling what God is inviting them to. They're more interested in power, and power comes from their singular interpretation of the law. They weren't foolish men. They knew what they were doing, and, and not only in trapping him, but they knew the law. So let's remember this, brothers and sisters. When they're talking about the law, uh, again, we mentioned this earlier this week or, or late last week, uh, that the law they're referring to here is the third commandment of the ten, you shall keep holy the Sabbath. So this is, this is high law. This comes down from Moses on high, from Mount Sinai, uh, in the tablets. And what happened, though, and I, and I talked about this before, is uh, the, the scholars of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those leaders within Jewish history, from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus, and that would have been a long time. That would have been, say, 1,200 years, long time. They would have done their, their writings and their, their thought and their debate and their, and their wisdom, and they would have um, talked about that and written about that, and we call that Midrash and Mishnah, that they would have written all about this law and expanded that law to help us understand what that law was more fully. Okay, what does it mean to keep holy the Sabbath? Well, and they would have, have expanded that to, to a, a whole number of other laws, around just that one law. And again, there's nothing wrong. There's beautiful. We're called, brothers and sisters, it's part of what I'm doing right now. We're called to engage with Scripture and help make sense of it in our modern day and, and, and understand it and put words around it so it, uh, it comes to life within our time. That's all the Jewish leaders were doing in those centuries between Moses and Jesus. Well, as is always, you know, you take a snowball on top of a mountain and you, and you send it down the hill, it's going to get larger and larger because it picks up lots of snow. That's really good, but it's also going to pick up twigs. And it's going to pick up, you know, leaves. It's going to pick up dirt. It's going to pick up other things too. And, and the dirt and the leaves and the twigs in that snowball as it gets larger, which is surrounds this law, those need to be taken out because if we, if we put our trust in those things, we're putting our trust in something that isn't pure. I know it's, a, it's, a, it not, it's an imperfect analogy, but, but some of those things, those writings, those teachings around that law took away from what the law was. And that's what Jesus is asking about here. Brothers and sisters, this is really not about the law, the, the third commandment, whether it allows him to do this or not. This is a much larger question, and that is what is the role of law in our life, and is there something that supersedes law, meaning love and healing and the right and the goodness? That's what Jesus is putting on the table. He's not saying, let's destroy the law. Again, we know that he didn't want to do that. We go back to Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says repeatedly, you know, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he takes an old law and he expands it. He says, Specifically, I did not come to, to uh, do away with the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And what he's pointing at is something larger 
something larger. And what is that law ultimately, that larger? It's love, right? It's love. Now that sounds trite, and it sounds, you know, schmaltzy and maybe even sentimental. But love is not sentimental, brothers and sisters. Love looks like the cross. Love looks like dying so that another may live. There's nothing sentimental, schmaltzy about that at all. Dying so that another may live. Jesus is going to enter into that. And I don't just mean at the end of his life. I mean around this table. He knows he is going to be um, castigated. He knows he is going to be uh, put down, directly or indirectly. He knows he is going to be ostracized by choosing the right and the good. But he does it anyway. He chooses to die in this moment to whatever agenda or ego needs he had around that table in order that that other may live. Why? Because of a higher law that he's trying to bring them to. They're watching him, but they're not engaging because they're afraid to. You know, Paul makes it clear in, in Romans, and Romans is such a wonderful book, but in Romans 13, Paul, Paul says this directly. And, and so I'm going to go off of Romans 13, 8 through 10. I'm going to read them to you here. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. How, how, much, how much more clear can we get than that? Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no evil to the neighbor. neighbor. Hence, love is the fulfillment of the law. Those are not my words. Those are Paul's. And in Romans, love does no evil to the neighbor. Hence, Love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the, is the walking embodiment of that, right? He knows that. Paul came to a truth and, and, and said that. And again, that, that, that's revolutionary. But Jesus is the embodiment of that. He knows he is going to die in the hearts of these people around this table but he chooses the right and the good because that other person will live. And so what does he do? He heals him and dismisses him. And then, knowing that they are, are thinking and judging him uh, within their hearts, he looks at them and says, who among you? So let's put this on the table again. He says, listen, who among you, if your son or ox falls into a cistern, would not immediately pull them out on the Sabbath day? But they were unable to answer his question. Why? Because they didn't know the answer? Well, of course they knew. They knew the answer. They knew every one of them would do that. But if they answer it and engage in it, it proves him correct. And they can't do that. Brothers and sisters, we know as Catholics, we know as Catholics that there are sins of omission and sins of commission, right? A sin of commission is actively going out and... Um, hurting someone, pushing someone, let's say, to use the example, into the cistern that they would be there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actively do that. That's a sin of commission. But an act of omission, a sin of omission, 
would be to walk by that cistern to see somebody alive within there and not actively help them out. And I can hide behind the law and I can say, well, but the law doesn't allow me to do that. And, and so therefore I can walk on my way and feel good, right? Jesus uses that same example with the Good Samaritan. That, that the, the priest and the Levite who walked by on the street, they were doing the law. They hid behind it. And, and, and according to the law, that was the correct thing because they couldn't engage with anybody who had blood. To do so would make them un, unclean. But the Good Samaritan sees a person right? So there are acts of omission and commission. He's putting that right in front of them and saying, really, would you let your son or your daughter lie in that cistern or, or drown in that cistern based on a law that says I cannot help them on a Sabbath day? He's saying, let's look at the larger picture here. Brothers and sisters, here's my last point. As Catholics, we so we don't have what's called Midrash or, or Mishnah. But we have the Catechism. We have uh, 2,000 years of holy men and holy women who have shared their wisdom and their writings and their teachings and surround all of these things with Scripture and help us understand them as well. And it is a great gift to us. For us to say, let's just throw that stuff out and everybody just, you know, read the law and, and, and do your best on it, that would be awful, awful. But we can f fall into the same trap, the same cistern, let's say, that the, the Pharisees and the scholars of the law are doing around this table, which is to hide behind it and not engage our own conscience. Brothers and sisters, it's always, always, always both and. We have to take a look at and, and just say, hey, listen, we're not outside the law. We're not above the law. We have to wrestle with it. And, and, and when I mean it, I mean church teaching and church law and, uh, and the understanding of the saints and, uh, and, and our understanding of Scripture. We have to do that. But we also have to engage it with Scripture, or excuse me, with our conscience. With our conscience. And what does this, what is the Spirit of God, as best I understand the Spirit of God talking to me today, what is is God inviting me to? If all we do at the end of the day is say, hey, just give me a law, just tell me what to do, and, and I'm not going to engage. You, you just tell me, tell me through the law, let's just, just give me a new law, create more laws, so, so I don't have to engage on a personal level, and at the end of the, my life, when I get to the, in front of the, the throne, and I can just simply say, hey, this is the law, and, and, and you know, that's, that's all it told me to do. Brothers and sisters, I would, um, I would loathe that meeting. I, I, would, I would just be remiss if I said that's, that's an okay thing to do. Remember, in, in Scripture, very clearly, even in the Hebrew Scriptures, Jesus says, I'm writing the law in your heart. I'm writing it in your heart. And, and we as Christians would say, we've been given the gift of the Spirit. And, and, and in that are given the gift to help discern the movement of God in this moment, in this time. It doesn't mean we throw everything away, but maybe it means that, that somehow this law isn't capturing love, but love is, is larger and, and above and, and beyond it. That's what Jesus is doing here. And we need to engage that as well. My friends, there are times, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
say a, a, a statement here that um, is not mine, but, uh, but I really liked it. To what extent is it true that love does not do away with law, but that law can do away with love? I'm going to read that again because it's that good. And this is what I'm saying. It's always both and. To what extent is it true that love does not do away with the law? That's what Jesus is doing here. And, and Paul is saying, love is the fulfillment of the law. To what extent is it true that love does not do away with the law, but that law can do away with love? It doesn't have to, but it can do away with love. And we have to engage in that and say, when is this law doing away with love, and what does that invite me to? And how do I have the courage of Jesus to sometimes even have to die? No, I'm going to have to die. Even if it's not a physical death, but a death to those around here by inviting them to something higher. Uh, because love is higher than whatever law is being expected or laid on me at that point. We have to engage. And we have to make sure we're listening to the Spirit. Not our own agendas. Not, uh, not an agenda of somebody else or, or whatever it is, but the Spirit of God. And when that calls us beyond, know that there will be some kickback that you and I will receive. Let's pray. So, brothers and sisters, we uh, finish up the joyful mysteries today. And, uh, and we just bring whatever's going on within our hearts, within our minds, within, uh, you know, uh, within and around us, uh, and, uh, and just bring it to God today, okay? So we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. The fifth joyful mystery, the finding of Jesus in the temple. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. My friends, bless you. Uh, Have a wonderful, not only Friday, but a wonderful weekend. Thanks for being present today and breaking open God's word with me. And I look forward to us uh, being back together again on Monday. God's peace.